Hey everyone, this is Matt Reynolds, the president and founder of Spirit and Truth, and I want to thank you for listening to the Spirit and Truth podcast. Uh, We're so grateful to connect with you. Today, before we begin our episode, I just wanted to uh, share this special message and just ask you to consider prayerfully partnering with our ministry through giving. I don't know if you know this or not, but Spirit and Truth is a standalone 501c3, and everything that we do as a ministry, from our uh, church equipping to all of our resources like Firebrand Magazine to our global partnership and church planting in places like Kenya, all of it is made possible through individuals just like you and through churches who believe in our mission to help raise up more and more people who are empowered by the Spirit, rooted in the truth, and mobilized for the mission. And so we're in a critical time of fundraising right now as a ministry, and we'd love for you to prayerfully consider becoming one of our ministry partners. If you'd like to do that, you can go to spiritandtruth.life slash give, and we would appreciate anything that you might be able to give, either a one-time gift or even becoming a monthly ministry partner. All of the information is available there on the website. Again, thanks so much. Thanks in advance for partnering with us in this in this mission to see the church really become fully alive, both in the U.S. and around the globe. Uh, we love you, and we, we appreciate getting to partner with you. You're listening to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and on today's episode, Matt, Tony, Emma, and I sit with a special guest, my husband, Rob Ulmer, and discuss the most recent Spirit and Truth Awakening Weekend, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Rob went on the Spirit and Truth trip as a guest preacher. He talks about his experience on the weekend and shares about a powerful worship service that happened during the weekend. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and I am sitting at the table with lots of people. I know I say that sometimes, and it's not, but it is lots of people. Today we're plus one. Plus, all right. Anyway. We're the full team plus one. Full team, but plus it's a one. special. It's a special one. Maybe the specialist one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's have some introductions. Uh, I'm Tony Meltenberger. <laughs> I'm Matt Reynolds. I'm Rob Ulmer. That's the special. That's the special. <laughs> the specialist one. I'm Emma Winchester. And so, yes, uh, listeners, today my husband is on the podcast, Rob Ulmer, and um, he. We should talk about oh. ministry couples. Maybe I'm just we. kidding. Well, we're the only couple present. I mean, that's exactly why we should do it. Oh, nope, let's not. Let's. Uh, so anyway, Matt. We've invited Rob here today both to uh, make me nervous and to talk about some other things. So what's up? <laughs> well, we just got back from a ministry trip to Tulsa. Uh, we just had a Spirit and Truth weekend uh, with First Methodist in Tulsa, Pastor Andrew Thompson and um, our friend Matthew Johnson and um, just a lot of wonderful folks there. And... Uh, the team that went uh, to that particular trip was Emma, myself, uh, my wife, Heidi, which was awesome. It was the first time that she's gotten to go on one of those um, Spirit and Truth weekends. And the specialist one, Pastor Rob Ulmer. And so we thought it'd be fun just to ask um, first, just to have Rob just reflect a little bit on... It was a powerful weekend. We saw the Spirit of God move in some really beautiful ways. And um, Rob, would you just share a little bit... Uh, it was the first time you've been on a weekend like that with us. What are some of the ways that you sense the Lord working throughout the weekend? And, and even personally, like, how did you see the Spirit at work? That's a good question. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. How did I, how did I f- feel the Spirit moving throughout the weekend? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was struck by how quickly the spirit moved on this weekend. I feel like um, this is my first experience with this type of weekend. So I realized that God, you only have what, like two days, three days. And so I realized that God moves pretty quickly. So almost just like a B12 shot of Jesus. It was mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. Um, so it was exciting. It was, uh, you've, you I realized right away when my wife comes home from these weekends and she is exhausted, I was like right away, I was like, I need to be a better husband <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> I 
like I try to do my best, but I was like, man, this is exhausting. Like listening to people and the Lord at the same time for literally, you know, 48 hours straight, just ongoing. Cause it was, there was no stop throughout this whole thing. Right. I mean, you say that there's no stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I had, I had, a, I had dreams while I was there. I had like, I'm eating breakfast and the Lord is like this, this, and this, uh, you know what I mean? Like things are just going, he's like nonstop. And, and so the, the things that kind of spoke to me were one humility, deep, 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 deep humility to realize that you're here to serve these people. Mm. Right. So, um, it's like, okay, while I'm eating my huevos rancheros, Lord, tell me what to do. Like, like this isn't about me. This is about them. Um, and while I'm sleeping and you want to talk to me, okay, I'll get up at, at five thirty. talk to me, tell me what to do, you know? And because it's for the sake of the, of this church. And so that was actually exciting and humbling at the same time. Um, so I felt, I, I, I love that. And it was a, a good stretch for me too. Um, it was wonderful to see the church just to meet other ministers who are in the same, who are in the trenches with you. And they're all the way in Tulsa, but they're like, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to, we're seeking the presence of God. We want to see the Lord move. We want to put him on display, you know? So that was just powerful and encouraging to see. On Saturday night, uh, you had a pretty profound experience of preaching, and uh, you you can share as much or as little as you want. But I wonder, you know, Saturday night is kind of a culminating moment in the midst of a Spirit and Truth weekend where really it's an opportunity for people to respond to the way that the Lord has been speaking to them and working in them throughout the weekend. So we have, you know, Friday night is the opening time for people that are not familiar, and then we have a lot of equipping on Saturday, talking about life in the Spirit. We talk about sharing your faith. Um, and then Saturday night is is kind of a, a chance to just kind of put it all together and just sort of surrender. I would say it's, a, it's oftentimes a service of surrender. Um, so you preached on Saturday night, and I, I guess the best way to describe it would just be just the the power of God, the the presence of God just came upon you in a in a significant way. Ended up uh, really preaching with no notes or anything. And so, could you just describe what that experience was like? What did you learn? What did you sense from the Lord? I know, as someone who was kind of there and helping, you know, watching and and observing what was happening, it was just it was a really holy moment, and there was a tremendous response. Uh, with many, many people coming forward for prayer and experiencing the power of the Spirit after that. So tell us a little bit about that and what that experience was like for you. I, I've actually been processing it um, because there's uh, there's something I'm learning about God lately in my own life, which is that to surrender to God means a willingness not to do the right things or say the right things or be the right way, but to give everything up and to be used by him. So you are, so I I kept thinking about John the Baptist and how we read the story of John the Baptist and we think of him as like, oh, he's crazy, John. Like if you, you know, if you watch The Chosen, all that's fine. But I think if I saw John the Baptist in person, he would scare me, to be honest. I think that he would scare me on two levels. One is that I would not understand what he was doing, saying, thinking, so foreign. But also he'd scare me because I know that that's who I should be too. And am I willing to surrender really like not just like where i live we talk about that all the time in ministry that's like nothing um but to surrender actually am i willing to to be a vessel for god's power that is contradictory to the world so that people actually hate me because not because i'm being mean to them but because they know deep down that okay that's what god looks like on a person and i want that too but i'm so dirty i'm so stubborn i'm so foolish 
that I don't want to do that. So whenever I've watched ministers who really move in the spirit, there's always this two things that happen. I feel drawn to them, but also I'm angered by them because it just points out how far, how much I haven't given up yet. Does that make sense? So when I, so when preaching time came, I had been praying in our house and like, okay, Lord, just as people say, give me the download, Jesus. <laughs> do people say that? People do say yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so, okay. And uh, but I, I use that phrase because it's kind of like that's how we think sometimes. God's just going to give in one hour. God's giving me all the words, and it's going to be good. But all I heard was one verse, and it's been a verse that you guys have been praying about, and it's been coming up, but it kept coming to me, and um, nothing else, like no other words around it. And God has done this to me before, but this was just felt different. And so I was nervous. I was scared. I was also a little excited to see, okay, what's he going to do? So then when it came time um, to pray, my body began to shake. When it came time to to preach, my body began to shake. And I felt my body began to, like my hands, my, my whole self began to slightly convulse. And I felt the Lord tell me, I want you to give a word to this church. And my first response to the Lord was, I don't do that. My wife does that. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and his response to me was, you just have to have courage and you have to surrender. Um, so when it came time to go up, the music leader looked at me and I just felt this weight come on me. I could barely walk. So I'm shaking as I'm walking up. And then as I got closer to the pulpit, it was like a, a heaviness came on me and pushed me down to the ground where I began to moan <laughs> and shake and tremble and cry. And I began to say a bunch of stuff. And, and um, it was like, it was, I don't know how to describe it. it. It was not like, I think sometimes we say, I want to be used by the Lord. And we're like, it's going to be so much fun. Mm. And it is fun, but it's not fun. like, it's, it's like you realize there is a power much bigger and stronger than you. And you have not been surrendering to this power, to this God. You've wanted to, but you have, but there are so many areas of your life that you have held back. It's like, I don't know, everything becomes highlighted. It's like he just shines the light on you. It mm-hmm. pushes you down to the ground and he is holy and you are not. And yet the joy is that he is like, but I'm going to use the unholy vessel to show my holiness, which is the greatest privilege anyone could ever have and so and I just point this out because it was not like I didn't do anything this was a great gift from God I was very humbled by it and frightened by it and as he spoke in me and to me I felt that there had to be a moment where we actually just sit in silence like the Lord told me I want you to now just sit so I was very loud calling people to surrender and then I sat down and it was just silence for I don't know how long, but it was a long time. It was the longest silence I've ever been in a worship service. Yeah. It was. It was a while. It was the <laughs> longest I, I've ever seen that kind of thing. And yet, I just want to add in here, it was beautiful and holy and sobering. Yeah. Or, it, was like, it was holy. It was convicting. It was also very peaceful, peaceful. too. It was like all of those things that don't seem like they should go together went together. It was just like um, the reality of the Lord's nearness without any words or music, but just his presence was palpable. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me ask this to the group because I, I think this is interesting. I, I wasn't there. Uh, Maggie and I both were not there. Yep. And what I hear when I hear you talking about this, it's um, it sounds amazing and awesome and scary um and also like here's the question that came to my mind there's there's hundreds of leaders listening right now and they're wondering thousands of leaders listening probably (laughs) 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 the cloud of witnesses and they're wondering like that's never happened to me yeah right why doesn't that happen at my church when i go up to preach and so, so t- two questions I have for you, Rob, and, um, and I'd be interested to get everybody's take on this. One, 
Um, how often does something like this happen to you at your home church? And two, should it be like, should we be trying to like pursue this level of holiness? <laughs> yes, you should be pursuing this level of holiness, but not in the outward. You don't seek for the outward uh, manifestation. manifestation of it. Um, but you should be seeking for full surrender to whatever God wants to do. Um, I mean, that has to be the answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, well, as I asked the question, it felt a little like, I mean, obviously that's the answer you want. Yeah. You want the yeah. presence of God everywhere that you are. Right. Yeah. Like, and just to be that vessel. Yeah. Uh, but do, does it happen to you? Like, I mean, on like the second Sunday of ordinary time, are you throwing down like this or what? <laughs> no, no. I mean, like if this happened, well, I don't know. I see. Uh, no, it does not happen to me every Sunday. Um, should it happen every Sunday? My, I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, uh, I, I guess my human brain would say like, well, no, it shouldn't happen every Sunday. But then again, what am I saying? Like, I think we should take communion every chance we get. Like, not because communion is like the presence of God and I should always want that all the time. Whereas like some people will say, if we do it once a month, it's special, but it's special. So therefore I should want it all the time. Do you, do, does that make sense? Sure. So I should want the Lord to, to come and, and, uh, but I know he's going to do it differently every time. So that was the way he wanted to do it that day. How he wants to do it some days is becomes very quiet, you know? Yeah. I would say, I mean, um, I wasn't on the trip, but when whenever the lord moves it's not just for the sole demonstration yeah. of his it's it's not like here i am and it's not peacocking you know what yeah. i mean it serves a purpose sorry yeah it serves a purpose you know the thing i think i told you this Rob, but uh the thing that i was struck by is in in some ways your message was both proclaimed and demonstrated through you physically and by that i mean you're preaching a, a a message of complete surrender and i think the lord brought you to a place where you had to give into that yourself physically i know y you talked a little bit even shared openly um when you started to talk again after the silence about i remember when you said this isn't you know back to tony saying this isn't what this isn't how I normally preach and you you shared like you know I want I would want to like have more polished words and I certainly wouldn't this is uh this is kind of awkward for me or I don't know what word you used but like to be shaking in front of you or to sit in silence like these are not things that I would want to do and yet I'm just overcome by the presence of God and I just sort of like you were like confronted within yourself I think um about this question of will you will you trust God enough to just surrender even even when it seems like in your own mind you may look foolish to others which you in my opinion you didn't look you didn't look foolish at all you looked like someone who was surrendered and yet I think that's sort of the the confronting question when you were talking about John the Baptist are we willing to be made fools for Christ and um so what do you as you experienced that and, and embodied surrender and proclaimed it, what's a word that you would speak to Christians today about this kind of, this idea of surrender? How, how would you encourage folks um, in, this, in this pursuit of sort of total abandon uh, to the Lord? Uh, well, um, <clears throat> I would say like, I, get, I think some of these questions you're asking, I realize that they actually shouldn't, they shouldn't be answered because when God does this, it should just be confrontation and encounter. And I think God wants to make people wrestle with it. Like, I think God wants us to ask, like, how come that doesn't happen to me? Or should I want that? Or that really scares me. And God seems to be okay with that. He seems to be okay with, because it's a soul searching thing. Like there are no pat answers for it. So when Jesus came, like he almost never answered those questions, right? He would ask a ton of questions and he would confront and encounter people. And when they came and they were like, John the Baptist, what's your deal? He's like, well, I'm not the Messiah. 
And the, and the thing is, um, who was I just talking to? I was just talking to someone that says not me, or someone was reading a book, something, and they were saying that one of the amazing things about John the Baptist is he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was. He knew that he was not the Messiah, that he was not God, and so therefore, because he knew exactly who he was, he was able to surrender everything. So the uh, the thing about the about this is I think John like God put John the Baptist there to confront people, to break everything down, to make them ask the questions, to make the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whoever think like in the dark corners, am I doing this right? Like, is there more? Should I be doing something else? I mean, I think we're supposed to ask those questions. I think sometimes we want to mollify that by saying like, no, you're doing good. You're doing good. It's okay. Don't worry. But God doesn't quickly always come to me and say, you're doing good. Don't worry. He says to me, you should ask that question, Rob. Are you doing, are you surrendering as much as you can? And it should be convicting to me. And, and I should go, then seek God for um, his assurance, not the assurance of hum, human beings, not the assurance of seminary, not the assurance of, of prayers being answered or people liking my sermon. Um, it actually should be a confronting thing um, because it's not even that our ways are not God's ways. Like we are literally not, we are, we are not God. <laughs> we are like, yeah. and that it's not even like a, like, like a little bit, you know, and the more we can understand that, I, the more we know exactly who we are and the more we know who we are, the more we know our, our place in God's, God's kingdom. And we understand that, uh, we understand just kind of like how to move in that. Um, I don't know. Do you ever, do you ever meet, um, like, okay, so this might not be the best thing, but when I go to my grand, my grandparents' house for Thanksgiving, like, my grandfather sat at the head of the table, and you knew right away, like, okay, he's the dude of Thanksgiving. Like, there's no, like, I'm not going to go and sit at the head of the table, and uh, I d I'm not going to cut the turkey. Like, he is going to do that, you know? It was his house, and he wasn't mean about it, but it's just everyone knew it. This is the deal. And he would be watching the football. He'd be doing the stuff. But when it came time, he sat down at the head of the table. He cut the turkey. He passed out the food. Everyone knew their place. And you know what? That made me feel kind of good. Like, when, it, when everyone's like, well, who's in charge here? I don't know. We're all being nice and kind about it. We're all like, well, you're in charge, you're in charge. But, like, when you know God is in charge and God has got it together, you know where you sit at the table. You know that he's cutting up the meat and he's feeding the family. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's where I want to be. <laughs> So one of the things that I learned this weekend that he taught me again was um, this is my worship service, not yours. This sermon, it's mine, not yours. This is, this is my work, not yours, right? But, but I, I bring you to the table, and I feed you, right? So you're a pastor. Yes. And so... <laughs> How does that impact? So you're back from the trip now. How does that, does that shift anything for you in terms of when you preside over the worship service that you preside over every week? Yeah, it scares me. <laughs> because, because here's what I know. When I came back from this trip, I had to make a, I had to talk to God and I, I told him, I said, okay, like if you, whatever you want to do, that I have to do it. So I have a plan for worship this Sunday. We're preaching on the kingdom of God. And here's what I know. <laughs> the kingdom of God <laughs> is where God is. Yeah. And I was like, I opened up the scriptures and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> now, it could be just a normal worship service. It could be whatever. God shows up. You Like the Lord moves. He does that in our church. And it's wonderful. It could be more. It could be less. It could be whatever. But... I don't know, but what I know is, is that if I don't want that, then what am I doing? If I'm not willing, I don't want to quench the spirit, Yeah. you know? And, uh, and I know I have a long way to go to figure out how to just surrender more and more and more. But I realize that it's not a, it's actually not an intellectual thing. It's a pride thing. Mm. Like, and 
I left and I was in the car this morning praying and I was saying, Lord, I realize that I have not been hungry enough for you. Like I need more of you. I want more of you. I want so much of you so that when I can, when I walk into places, you're like, please pray for that person, Rob, please pray for that person. Maybe it's in person. Maybe it's just while you're shopping, whatever you're doing like that. My antennae are up seeking the Lord, you know, and there are just things around me that like, like habits, whatever, that you so easily fall back into. And you can go back to leading whatever life, you know. But I don't know. That t- definitely costs something. When you were talking a, a moment ago, uh, the verse that came to my mind as you were talking about that experience was um, the fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And... You know, I think what you were describing is this when when we have a a true understanding of who God is and the place that he plays and the place that puts us in, you know, that's where we can make real judgments about everything in life that are in actual alignment with reality, which is wisdom. Right. And so. You know, one of the things that that experience this weekend, and there was a few moments like this, but especially that night that that did it did for me, is it just when you encounter the holiness of God, there is it is both beautiful and terrifying. Yeah. And I think that is something that, in contemporary North American Christianity with our Sunday morning lattes and, you know, <laughs> cushy chairs and all that stuff, like, we don't talk about the fear of God. Uh, that's not something that we really... But there is... You can't... When you start to experience the reality of God's sort of... His true presence as He actually is... Not just in the way that sort of like we we soften him and you know you know focus on just little pieces of who he is, but when you get a sense of the scale and the scope and the reality of who he is, it's um it just brings you to a place of holy fear, and I don't I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's a sobering thing. It's a it's a it's 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 not a his presence isn't like it's not chasing you away in that kind of a fear but it it is like it's like you were describing when his light falls and it just is like kind of reveals everything that's part that's the part that's so kind of like uh sobering about it is it just you you realize in his presence how big he is and how fragile you really are mm-hmm. and how broken you really are. And yet he he wants to be with us anyways, which is like, this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I do think that giving coming to a place of sort of new sense of reverence and awe, a holy fear of God can be the start of real surrender in your life because it's like nothing else makes sense when you actually see him for who he is when you experience him for who he is in all of his majesty and holiness there is no other response that makes sense than other than just to fall on your face and offer him everything that you have yeah and i I just want to say for anyone listening who's like who like Usually when you start talking about this, people pull out 1 Corinthians 14, you know, worship has to be ordered and all that. And that is true. Like God doesn't want chaos, but I feel like people swing so far to their side and just quench it. Just like say, no, stop that, stop that, stop that. We have to learn how to surf the wave of God in a, in a way that is effective, that kind of points him. And that's why you need, you need people who, are, who can lead and who understand the presence. And, but that takes practice. That takes like real, I mean, it's like a dance, right? You're dancing, you're learning to dance with God. And sometimes it, it's a really ugly dance. Like sometimes it is like a cr- the craziest hokey pokey you've ever seen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like am I the only, I'm the only one. So that's the, but it's, uh, I'm looking around the table here. Uh, but it feels like that. 
it feels wild like that. You know, um, a few times when we've been on these weekends and we've um, talked about gifts of the spirit and things like that, and usually um, gifts of the spirit as a topic is not necessarily something that we've officially covered, but sometimes I'll have side conversations with people and this issue of ordered worship comes up. And I've always struggled with an answer. And one day I was praying as I was talking to uh, a very lovely woman, who, but who was just very, we could tell, like nervous about allowing God to move. And she said, we need ordered worship. And I just came, came to me. Yes. God's order. Yeah. Yeah. has to be God's order for worship, not ours. And, um, we participate, we discern that's all real and true. And also Mm. we surrender. Mm. If it's entirely of our making, we'll know because we'll be able to do every single thing that happens, Mm -hmm. you know, worship of God means allowing for him to be there, which means there's a quality present in worship that is not something that can be humanly manufactured. Yeah. I also think that that really, to kind of go full circle here, that really brings us back to this idea about the leader's hunger, Mm -hmm. right? And ultimately the pastor, whoever that person is, who's going to, who's going to order it Mm. has to be the worship leader first. Right. And so that my primary role is not to be the, the speaker. My primary role is to be the worship leader, to set the tone for the hunger of which we uh, approach the altar to encounter God. Yeah. Right. And so then that, that becomes how you order the church, you know, hopefully, I guess to use Rob's term, you doing the hokey pokey with the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, do you do the hokey pokey with the Lord? Uh, well, a version of it for sure, yeah. for, for sure. I, I, I would say it's, it, it, you know, a, a type A control freak kind of guy that I am. Um, I know that resonates with you as well, Maggie. Uh, is is that, you know, to be a, a good worship leader is to not be the one leading the dance. And that's just a constant repentance in my life right like okay god you can have it back i'm sorry right like and and just that constant process of of going to the altar and trying to encounter um the living god in just ways that are are real and to be a vessel no that's good (laughs) i am i'm just thinking uh uh You've been very quiet. You've been quiet, and as you have heard this conversation, and you were there on the weekend, um, you know, with the things that we've described, what, what's coming to your mind? What's pro- What are you processing as you're hearing this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting around a table with people who have led hundreds and hundreds of worship services, so I'm just kind of sitting in awe and listening and, and seeing how you guys... Um, how you guys have learned, how you guys have evolved in the way that you lead and in the way that you preach and the way that you surrender to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm just, I'm just learning. It's so interesting to, to hear you guys at this place in your ministry. I don't mean to say ministry careers as a whatever, but in your ministry careers, you've been preaching for how many years? Oh, well, I've been in ministry for about almost 20 years now. Okay. in Matt, yeah, I'm 19. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, wow, like 20 years into preaching and ordering services and all of these things and how it's still it's still a process. It's not like you get to a finish line. Amen. No. I, oh, my yeah. God. I, uh, yeah, that's right on. I, I definitely thought... I feel like I know way less than I did when I was in my 20s <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because yeah. I used to f- be more confident. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that sounds kind of dumb. You know what I mean? I yeah. was like, the, the further I've gone, the more I've just realized how meager my attempts have been and how big God is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the... Um you know, you were talking about the fear of God, and I think that's right. Like, we have to have a holy fear of God as we as we pray about worship, as we think on worship, that it will give him glory, 
you know, that all of it will give him glory. And that's what I've been learning. And so a lot of times, honestly, liturgy does that. Mm. You know, liturgy, I think sometimes when people hear this, they think throw out everything, but liturgy gives God glory because it is his word and it directs the people as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it brings us in agreement together. It aligns us together to then give him glory. Liturgy does that. Singing does that, you know. And then humility and the proclaiming of the word does that. Um, and then, honestly, as Paul talks about First Corinthians 14, like he talks about how two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. I still have yet to figure out how that works in a worship service, yeah. but I want to get there. Mm-hmm. I want to get there like, okay, who has been hearing from the Lord? How do we weigh that in a service? Mm-hmm. Because that gives him glory. Like he's speaking not only from the past, but he's speaking now in this moment. Yeah. Through his word, through the music, through the liturgy, and through his medium, which is us. Yeah, it's just so it's so interesting because our temptation is to always build something to perfection. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can Mm -hmm. master this. I can get it right. If I learn all of the techniques, if I know all of the things about how to craft a perfect sermon, then it's all stuff like you said, Maggie, that we can fulfill, that we can do. But in God's order, we use what he has given us and we use, you know, church history and theology. We use those things. And also, God is still God. Yeah. yeah. And that's really cool, and it's really hard. Yeah. One of the things that came to mind, Emma, as you were asking this question, you, and you were you know, bringing to light the fact that this is a process, and I think that this is such a good point that you made there, is that oftentimes in church land, we don't treat this like this is a process of growth. We... And I think this is especially true of the church growth movement where, you know, what we wanted to do was create something appealing and consumable. And we were very fixated on what the most relevant trendy thing was. And then we were shocked when trends change and people were like, I'm not into that. Or they were like, oh, shockingly, this gym in my church has not actually made my soul better. You know, <laughs> even though and we have we say this, you know, Matt says this everywhere he goes and uh, you know, that those things aren't bad and basketball ministry is fine, you know, stuff like that. But, um, sorry, I'm throwing Matt under the bus right now. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I said the almost exact thing that you're saying <laughs> on this weekend. Oh, actually. okay. Well, but the thing is, is that here's what strikes me about what you're saying. Life in Christ is a process. Ministry is a process. Growing in and holiness is a process surrendering it's hard and you know what sometimes watching someone progress in something that's hard gives us something to like aspire to Mm -hmm. and not that life in god is about goals but i want to know that i can be better than i am today Mm -hmm. i want to know that you know, like scripture says, he's not done with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like his mercy is new each day. So that means today I will be better than I was yesterday in terms of my ability to resist temptation and to hear his voice. And that tomorrow there is even more. Yeah. And I just feel like that is a lot more encouraging than come here and because we have great programs. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. So what are some practical ways that people can begin surrendering? Mm. Like how, how do you find yourself in this, in this place now? What brought you here? Are you talking about in, in uh, personal life or in the context of corporate worship? Probably in the context of corporate worship as a pastor. Because I imagine that people are listening and they're in the thick of, of doing, you know, worship a normal way with the set schedule, with the three songs, with the uh, all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So how do you begin taking steps towards yeah. relying and listening to the Holy Spirit and then obeying? Well, I c- okay, one, one thing jumped to my mind about my own journey is that... Um, I had to actually experience it myself before I could ever try to help lead or shepherd other people to that place. Mm-hmm. So what was that it, like? By that I mean like 
I think there, I don't know that I always had a view of corporate worship where I believed that you could actually encounter the presence of God. Mm. And of course we say that in theory, like where two or three are gathered, you know, I'm there with them. So God's with us. Yay, everybody. You know, like Mm -hmm. we say those things, but I mean, there's a difference between sort of like the theory and then like actual encounter. Yeah. And I had to myself be in some environments and some of them happened in churches. Some of them happened in conferences. Some of them happened in um, global churches that are where the spirit moves in ways that are different than typical American churches. So in a variety of settings, sort of like I, I had to just put myself in places where in fact God, where people were making space to mm-hmm. encounter the presence of God. That surrender isn't just an idea. That yeah. surrender is not just an idea. And when I, when you're confronted with that experience, you know, you, there's a lot of processing that has to happen. Like, <laughs> I'm like, um, this is interesting, you know, yeah, like, yeah, no, that's so what real. is happening. Like either all these people are lunatics and collectively just making stuff up or God is actually doing stuff here. And, you know, I knew because I was in it, I could sense like we, I think we're, we're wired as humans, like to, have a sense of God's nearness, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, he created us. We're Mm -hmm. created in his image. And so there was something profound that happened in me as I started to put myself in environments where, you know, people were coming, gathering for worship with that kind of expectation, that kind of level of, you know, not just we're going to to do our nice thing. Um, So... Yeah, so that's the long answer to just say, I think one practical thing you can do is just, if if this hasn't been your experience, what we're describing, or you've never even encountered something like this, then, then you can intentionally choose to put yourself in some environments around people of expectation, around people who are more familiar with creating these kind of uh, environments where people are expecting to encounter the presence of God. You can choose to do that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, so that that definitely was the same for me. You see, you experience, you're like, oh, it could be done this way. Uh, or you're a part of something, you go, oh my gosh, this there's more. You know, I think um, uh, also, like as I've moved along and grown, be, you know, it's hard when, you, when you're the only one, being a part of a team, finding mm-hmm. other people, praying with them who are open to God but also um, challenging yourself. So a couple things you can do very practically is don't write out your whole sermon. Like write out parts of it and pray and ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to do exactly what you want to do. So I don't mean be irresponsible. I mean, like, but, don't, but write out bullet points and just try for a few weeks to preach um, from what you've learned and then allowing, the, allowing like 25% to be the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. move in that moment. And, I, and again, I just want to say the Holy Spirit can speak to you throughout the week too. Like it's, it's not yeah. that spontaneity means it's the Holy Spirit versus, but I think there is something to saying like, okay, I'm going to put this here. And instead of trying to craft the entire thing word for word, dot by dot, I am going to challenge myself. The other thing you can do is maybe, maybe you don't write out your prayers. Maybe you allow yourself to be still in the, in the worship service, be quiet and listen for God in that moment in front of everyone and, and trust that God can speak in that moment too. So it's, it's like he can speak in the week before, but he can speak in the moment. And that's the part, like a lot of us will be like, he can speak in the week before, yes, but are you cutting out the fact that he can speak in the moment? Like doing both, I think, is the real work. Yeah, and I just want to echo what you're saying. This is not, there's a difference between uh, laziness and what you're describing. We're not talking at all about laziness. In fact, I think being more intentionally prayerful is actually harder work. Yes. You know, what, what you're talking about is, am I going to spend the next hour Googling 
sermon illustrations that I think would be cute and people are going to chuckle at that would fit this scripture? Or am I going to prepare this message by spending the next hour sitting with the Lord in prayer with not looking at my phone, not looking at a computer screen, like preparing my own heart and asking God to speak to me about his word here. And Google Googling sermon ideas is not bad, you know, just to qualify all this. But the kind of preparation that we do says something about the kind of expectation that we have for how God's going to work. And if, if all of our preparation in, you know, in particular, we're talking about sermon prep now is around preparing the product and not preparing your heart and actually listening for the voice of God, then, um, you know, I think that's something to wrestle with. Yeah. I think all of it, I think if you're not wrestling with, with it, then you're not, I would say you're probably not doing it to the extent that you should be. So, um, for me, as I've grown, I've, I've done more of what you said, Matt, I've opened up the Bible and sat with the Lord for longer periods of time than going straight to the commentary or straight to the, whatever I think it might be and allowing the Lord to speak to me about it. Um, I've tried to live with the scripture throughout the week. You know, I mean, we're talking about preaching now, but also um, I've tried to slow down in worship as I lead it. I've tried to allow myself to be worshiping in the worship service instead of thinking about the next thing that has to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, I think that's real leadership. Like real leadership is being with the people, surrendering with the people, and being okay with, if I get up there, oh, I forgot what's going to happen next. That's okay. Take yeah. a deep breath. Know that the purpose the, is the presence of God. You know? I just got to, I got to say something that's like a, it's a, it's a convicting thing for me over the years, but it's also kind of a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Like I hear a lot of preachers and I've been one of them say things like, well, I can't really worship in my home church because, you know, I'm managing everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's common for preachers to say like, oh, it's so refreshing to be in a worship service where I'm not responsible for anything. Believe me, I totally get that. I get that too. Completely. Yep. But the idea that you as the pastor cannot authentically worship and turn your attention to the living God in the midst of the service because somehow you need to keep yourself sort of sober-minded and paying attention to the next thing on the agenda is a, actually a failure of spiritual leadership. If we're not authentically worshiping the living God, what are we doing? And how can we lead other people to a place if all we're doing is managing a program and not truly worshiping ourselves? Like, that just seems nuts to me. And again, I say that with conviction because that's been me many times. Yeah, me too. And so, but I just, I think if there's pastors listening, I would encourage you, one of the most simple things that you can do is just give up control enough to actually worship in your own worship service. Yeah. Like you can do that. You can just let go a little bit, like just become a little bit more open handed in how things play out. And people are not coming there for the polish of, you know, the particular order that you put together anyways. And actually worship the Lord alongside your people. And if there's a few stumbles or you're not up there as quick for the next part as what maybe you should be. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Like, why are we there? Yeah. To worship the living God. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I feel like this conversation could probably go on a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. it could. But I feel like it's time to wrap it up. Well, we'll just have to have Rob come back a bunch more times. <laughs> well, fortunately, you know someone. Mm. who knows him <laughs> that's me in case oh, you're curious i thought you were talking about me <laughs> <laughs> anyway because i have his phone number too yeah, for the okay record. all right anyway <laughs> um i i'm just i'm grateful for this conversation and um I'm as i'm listening to you guys because obviously you guys are both you're speaking both out of um 
the context of spiritual leaders, people who lead within the body of Christ and as also followers of Jesus. And so I hope that everyone hears the wisdom that applies to anyone in the body of Christ and also do you have a scripture, Rob? <laughs> it came to my head. I was just looking yeah. at you. I just thought I wanted to read it. It's one you've heard me talk me about a lot. But this is, um, as we're ending, this is what I thought of. There's a moment where John's disciples come and they want to talk to Jesus. And Jesus begins to speak to the crowd about John the Baptist. And he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And I just think that that's a question we have to ask ourselves when we come to worship, mm-hmm. when we come into prayer, when we read the scripture. What did you go out to see? You go out to see something nice, something cute, mm-hmm. something that fine clothes, all that? Or did you go out to meet the living God? Yeah. It, like that's what you want, right? So did you go out to meet the living God? And is that what you got? Did you leave worship a little convicted? Did you leave worship a little messed up? Did you leave worship with great peace? Because I just want to say this. At the end of that whole service on Saturday, what happened is the peace of God fell. And we felt it. And if you read 1 Corinthians at the end, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, it all brings everything to the peace of God. And sometimes I feel like it's our chaos that God wants to interrupt, and he does it with a hammer in order to bring peace right? He separates the light from the dark, which is a painful experience so that he can bring peace. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, we'll leave you with that listeners. And thank you so much for being with us for this episode. Um, If you would like to hear uh, more from Rob, you can scroll back in our uh, episodes. I'll link some previous episodes that he's been on and uh, (laughs) thank you so much. We'll come back to you in the next conversation.